together from across the United States. The real issues you don't hear about elsewhere. Focusing on what matters to you and your neighbors. To resist bot live. Hey y'all, it's Monday, May 8th. I'm Melanie Dion, and this is Moderately Educated Cat Lady Live. Welcome. This week, I don't think there are any surprises of what we'll be talking about. So I want you to remember that Resist Bot Live is live streamed every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on YouTube. Because after a long week of nobody liking our bumbles, Working toward everyone being treated like human beings is a really close second. So thank you so much for joining us. If you're listening on a podcast, you could join the conversation by using the hashtag LiveBotters. On Monday, May 8th, someone leaked Associate Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito's 68-page burn book entry disguised as a draft opinion. It alleges that since women didn't have autonomy in the 1700s, then it's more or less in the best interest of the country that we just continue to ride that train, trampling the rights of anyone who has a uterus. Cis women, trans men, our non-binary friends, anyone, your body is a political talking point for our government. And though the opinion posits that this logic won't affect freedoms like racial equality or voting or gay marriage, it's important to remember the most important characteristic of Alito and people like him the most consistent, I should say, they're going to lie to violate the freedom on which this country was founded. And that's the freedom of religion. Because when you get down to the abortion debate, it always becomes a religious one. Now, as a Generation Xer, I don't know a world without Roe. And it's sort of a point of pride for us. Coming of age in the 90s was very important for my development as a feminist a womanist, someone who believes that everyone should have the rights that everyone else is entitled to. So this feels personal, or it makes me realize that many of us took Roe for granted, even if unintentionally. The most important thing to remember, though, and that we all agree on here, is that democracy is the will of the people. And the people, by and large, believe that a woman's bodily autonomy is of paramount importance over her reproductive health and safety. These are the things that matter. This is how our country functions, not just for the some, for all. So this week, fellow Gen Xer and Resist Bot Liver, Susan Stutz and I were able to have a one-on-one chat about how that draft opinion affected us and also what our responsibilities are to the generations coming behind us. So let's take a look at that. So Susan, here we are. Just a couple of gals thinking we were going to have a relaxing Mother's Day. What is this like for you? And I'm asking this of uh, the women in our age group because we've always known Ro. We've always, this has always been something that's synonymous with Generation X. Call it naivete, call it wishful thinking. I think you could even call it just sheer stupidity. But I never really ever imagined that Roe and Casey would fall. I, it's just, it's always been, I mean, I was five when the opinion was entered in 1973. 
And for all of my reproductive years, it's been in place and it's always been a safeguard. It's always been there. And we've watched states, you know, since 1973, almost 1,400 separate pieces of legislation have been proposed and hundreds have been enacted. And as I watch that happen across the country, I genuinely never believed that Roe would fall. When the draft opinion came out last week, it really, it blew my mind. You know, it's still, I'm still trying to process the prospect of an America without women having control over their bodies, having the autonomy, having that autonomy recognized. I read the 98 page opinion and Alito, who is the author of the draft, I'm sure our listeners know, in in 68 pages, which is the bulk of the opinion, the other 30 pages are an index. He talks about us like we are just some random part of this problem. And he only gives us agency at the very end when he talks about how we're the majority of the voting base and we can run for office and be the ones that are enacting legislation or proposing it. But up until that point, which is literally the second to the last page of the actual opinion, he doesn't even really talk about us at all. And let's even talk about how that's crap, because every week we're seeing how district lines are being drawn in favor of conservative politicians, conservative talking points. So for him to throw out there, well, if women want to do it, then they can run for office. When you know that you're sitting on things like the Voting Rights Act, when we know that these things are just stalled. You know, yeah, we can run for office, we can propose legislation, but when you're having districts gerrymandered all across the country, that makes that argument a little less fruitful, or rather a lot less fruitful. The fact that we are in 2022 and still do not get to have complete control over our own bodies, it's staggering to me that I'm a 53-year-old woman and I'm still not allowed to be in charge of what I do with my own body. When you think about the legislation and the litigation around women's reproductive system, and then you look at the reverse side and see that there has never been a single piece of legislation that has waged a war on men's reproductive systems. And Alito makes a comment late in the opinion about how just because abortion is only possible for women or childbearing people because men can't have it mean it doesn't mean that it's discriminatory that a law you know forbidding it it doesn't make that discriminatory and how is that even possible there is no law that regulates anything about men's bodies nothing whatsoever If a man literally wants to get vertebrae added to his spine so that he can look taller, he can do that. On this, when we're dealing with certain bad faith arguments, where do we stop? Where do we decide? Because I I look at like, we're we're both more or less online, we're on Twitter or, or Facebook or whatever. And we'll see these endless debates that don't really go anywhere. The people who are pro abortion, pro choice, 
what wherever you fall in this uh, what's becoming a spectrum and the people who are against abortion. And I refuse to dignify that position with pro-life because you don't believe in health care. You don't believe in paid family leave. You don't believe in mental health care, which anyone who would do just the most casual glance at postpartum care would know that this is something that is absolutely necessary. So you're not pro-life. You're pro-legislating women's bodies. And unfortunately, you can huff and puff, but women and people who do not want children are always going get to abor- get abortions. There, this, is, this law does not stop that. Now, what this law will do is create a more difficult scenario for an already overtaxed healthcare system. And I'm saying coming out of, I'm using that very loosely because we're not coming out of COVID. People are just ignoring it. Right. So we're, we're coming out of this, this one big healthcare crisis that we're finally just really getting eyes on, to be perfectly honest, mm-hmm. because it's still terrible. People are still catching and dying of COVID, but we're doing this and creating a completely different health crisis yes. that does not have to exist. When you're not engaging decent people, you can't expect like a decent response. So when we say women will die, we also have to remember we're dealing with the same people who saw elderly people, poor people, people with disabilities dying of COVID. And we're like, "Mm, some people going to die, I guess. All of this is because we've become too mouthy and I guess apparently have too many cats. (laughs) I'm sorry. I've seen the men that you want me to give up my cat for. No, thank you. I'm good. Like, it's just not... It's not worth being appealing to this system. It's, a, it's going to be, as you said, another healthcare crisis because abortion does not go away. Women have been having abortions for centuries since they understood minimally about their body and their reproductive system. They have taken steps to avoid being pregnant. In terms of the civility, we live within these constructs that have been around for hundreds of years, women were chattel, we were property up until the 20th century and not even the early part of the 20th century. You know, it was well into the 20th century when we were no longer considered property and chattel. And we're entitled to our opinions. We're entitled to advocate for ourselves. And what's really disgusting about that part of this is when men advocate for themselves, when they take a firm position with stern wording and and attitudes, they're just being men. Mm-hmm. When you and I do it and we stand up and we say, no, we're not going to take this crap anymore. We don't fit into that. Well, women are feminine and nice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of us just aren't feminine and nice. Some of us want to be seen as individuals. The dangling carrot. If you're nice enough, I'll let you have this. Yes. I don't want to be nice. I want to fight. Yes. When somebody tramples on me, I want to kick ass. And I'm not going to not do that to ingratiate myself to the person trying to harm me, hurt me, roll back. What's mine? Where do we stand as like you're 53, I'm 45. This doesn't affect us as much on a personal level of of Mm -hmm. our individual bodies, your body, my body. We're kind of on the tail end of that. But let's think about it just from the standpoint of if we do, if if one of us were to actually get pregnant, 
at our age, the things that we would have to consider. The things that we would have to consider 100%. And I get to look at that from a very, very privileged lens. Mm -hmm. I've got a lot of options open to me. And going back to the opinion, that's one of the things that's mentioned in here. Alito actually set, talks about how there are avenues open to women in terms of birth control and family planning and, and things like that. And just disregards entirely the privilege that comes along with those options and how not everybody has the same access. We just Absolutely. don't. Absolutely. And going back to bad faith, because I'm from, what is it, 48th in education, Louisiana, and our legislature definitely showed where that failing comes in because they're not, it's not only, I'm A, in a trigger state. So I'm in one of those states where if Roe gets repealed, that's it, that's done. I'm in Louisiana. Right. But there was a new bill yesterday that's not only coming for abortion, but also abortion pills, IUDs, I an IUD which I have, they want you to be charged with, as the lo- as the bill is written right now, could get you charged with murder. It's not about life. It's not, it's about creating a subservient class. Mm-hmm. And they're gonna do it with women. They're gonna do it with poor people. They're gonna do it with black and brown people. We just talked about what was going on with what they're doing with unhoused people and how they're trying to create basically another enslaved class with unhoused people by forcing them into community service for just living, for just Mm -hmm. existing. Mm -hmm. So this is not going to be, this is something that we are going to have to continue to fight. And most Generation X women do have this attachment Mm -hmm. to, to Roe because it's made so many things possible. Even if I look at it just from the standpoint of Black women, what it's done for teen pregnancy, where we have Girls who would have been knocked out of contention for anything, able to pursue education. We have the most rapidly growing higher education demographic is women. And if I'm not mistaken, black women, because not unrelated to the privileges, the the opportunities that Roe offered. Right. Being able to have some kind of choice and not just letting life happen to you. Right. We love kids. Kids are great. Society is, they're a very wonderful part of our society. But as a parent, and I'm sure you can agree, this ain't something you want to do if you don't really want to do it. 100%. There are several women in my life who have always known that children were not in the cards for them. And that's something that they've recognized about themselves. And that's got its own set of problems because people cannot accept that a childbearing individual would not want to have a child. Control fails. Assaults happen. Also, birth control is, I don't want to leave this out because this, and and it, it circulates on social media, but we also have to explain that we some big folks in the United States of America mm-hmm. and birth control has a weight limit. Yes. I believe the pill, the abortion pill has a weight limit of 155. Birth control pill has less, I recall, 198. Wow. In a country where our average weight is. Our biggest size. This is, we're right back at controlling women's bodies Mm -hmm. and keeping women subservient because, again, we've gotten too overeducated and mouthy. We've gotten overeducated and mouthy, and we've finally decided that we're not going to sit back and take it and just let 
you know, the men in glass houses decide what happens to us and for us and about us. And I say this out loud as much for myself as for anybody else. Don't give up. This isn't the end. So before we let you go, Susan, what is it that you want our folks to walk away from after this conversation? Recognizing that it's very easy to be discouraged. It's not over until it's over. And it's not. There are still going to be states where this is permitted. For a lot of us, we'll have to turn our attention to the fundraising. You're still going to have a section of the population that is privileged again and is going to be able to pick up and go to another state easily to get the health care that they need. And make no mistake about it, abortion is health care. For anybody who says it's not, that's not true. It is absolutely health care and it's necessary health care. But you're going to have people who don't have the money to go somewhere else. I know for me, it's a lot of it is going to be dipping into my pocket and mm-hmm. and trying to help those that I can because I can. That's exactly how I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm mama now. I, I have the purse and this is right. this is how we, you know, it's it's the same as when we help our kids. adults though they may be and and this will it'll be a lot of mamas and daddies and everyone in between aunties uncles whoever opening up purses for people who need this care there's so much about generational fighting and all of that but this is really one of those things as a gen xer i think this is something that we really this is ours and we really need to this is not the time to fall back on that. So thank you so much, Susan. I'm so glad that you were able to join us on. And let's let's talk about how this was supposed to be our weekend off. Can we, can we go back to that again? So thank you. Thank you for taking the time because this is very important. This is and- hugely important to me. It always has been. It's, you know, I was not politically aware growing up, but women's reproductive rights were instilled in me at a very young age. And so it's something I've always believed in, right? Even when I didn't have political leanings, I knew that my body was not for yes, exactly. other people's decision-making. Yes. So thank you so much, Susan. My pleasure. Our favorite question here at Resist Bot Live is who's doing the work? Whenever policy impacts people, there's always the people who stand up and answer the call and point us in the direction to go especially when it comes down to protecting our freedom. I was able to talk to Helmi Hinken, also known as the Abortion Fund Link Fairy, and Robin Wilson Beatty, a veteran in sexual and reproductive rights, not only for women, but also people with disabilities. They were able to talk to us about not only what the work looked like before, but also what they're doing now to prepare us for what lies ahead. So let's listen into that. Our focus this week and every week is always on who's doing the work. So when that draft opinion came out, there were people who absolutely sprung into action. One of those people was Helmi Hinken. Hi, Helmi. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Thank you again also for joining us on our wonderful Twitter space (laughs) Tuesday night. Let's talk a bit about what Roe looked like or what this work looked like before Monday and then after. But before I do that, we have one other guest, and that is Robin Wilson Beatty. Hi, Robin. Hi. Welcome. Thank you for inviting me, and it's nice to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you both so much for for joining us. 
Um, I'm going to start with you, actually, Robin. Many of us knew what was coming down the road, especially someone like you who works in reproductive justice. It's not it wasn't necessarily a surprise that the draft was coming or that the opinion would be what we saw. But some of the language, the timing, all of those things were were jarring and threw us off balance. So I'd like to talk a bit first about what you were preparing for and once you knew basically what is what's coming in terms of Roe and how the Supreme Court is going to rule, even if they adjust the opinion. What does that look for you now? What was it like then? And what does that look like for you now, just in the past week? Like you had mentioned earlier, I'm also Gen X. I did listen to my elders <laughs> talking about what happened when somebody got caught as they called it, if you got pregnant, what options there were or the lack of options basically and what happened. But how I kind of got an inkling about how people were focused and how the Christian right was focused on reproductive, eliminating reproductive rights. I grew up in the South in Arkansas, Little Rock. I used to babysit because lived in the same neighborhood as uh, it was an upper middle class neighborhood full of you know doctors lawyers engineers i babysat for all of them a lot of many of them were in groups like focus on the family these early christian political like centered rights groups you know as a teenager babysitting listening to these views and stuff but also seeing how people they were organizing and how they were getting together and getting money together to fight against things like birth control and abortion and how you can get who can get access to birth control and also sex ed from a teenager i knew that there were forces out there of people who were they were getting together and doing what they can can to fight these rights but i also learned that there is money behind that as well from there i remember going it was called March for Women's Lives back in 1991. I'm freshman college. I remember like the saying of Bush, stay out of mind. We're talking about <laughs> daddy, not shrub. But <laughs> <laughs> I would say in the last decade that for me, like the siren has gone off. I am solutions based and focused on, okay, this is what happens. What are we going to do now? But I also realized like the hypocrisy, though, when it came to birth control or controlling birth with disability, because that's what I do is I talk about all things in the intersection of disability, sexuality and reproductive health. People with disabilities are pressured into having abortions because God forbid that you have a baby that is disabled. Also, and you know, if you think of the eugenics movement, people that are considered by the government undesirable for reproducing are basically stripped of the right to reproduce. In the South, thinking about black women were targeted for that. You know, that's they had that phrase Mississippi appendectomy, and they're talking about an abortion here because I getting um, a certification is in in sexual health um, education and getting that certification. One of our projects was coming up with some kind of action plan. I mean, this was when, you know, the thing, the laws were coming out, more laws were coming out around heartbeat, like saying, 
heartbeat laws. But basically, an organized way of how we raise the funds to financially be able to support them to come here, you know, to come. I live in California now. Mm -hmm. I was in Atlanta, but now I'm here. So that was the other thing, because I know what it's like to have to have an abortion in a heartbeat state. If you are pregnant with a disability, being pressured into having an abortion, I was pressured very heavily by them. Uh, and also just other people are like, oh, oh, well, yeah, well, I'm against abortion, but you didn't need to be pregnant anyway. you like, basically, you've got enough on your plate. And I have a kid. I had my abortion after I had my child. So because I knew what pregnancy was like, and I knew the kind of support that I needed, and I was not going to have that at that time. But I also the impact of the these draconian laws around abortion. Okay, but you had to sit there and wait 48 hours after you first go to the clinic and they make you look at a sonogram and you're supposed to be able to opt not to be able to see it like or have it turned away. But the doctor that was doing that was pretty cruel and he was like, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot you said that. I just want to reiterate to people right now that when we're talking about this, when we talk about abortion, when we talk about access, when we talk about body autonomy, what people are not recognizing is not only is this like on the one hand, we have our rights to to have abortion, but also our right to decide that we do want to have kids in, ca- mm-hmm. in, in in the event that we're we're not as as you put the language they use desirable desirable parents oh like yeah who gets to who gets to be a parent who gets to be a mom for and I just want to read this quote from all of our friend <laughs> Valissa Thompson who uh is friend of the show who has who's uh, doing great work with the Century Foundation and. The quote, the Century Foundation released a a, a statement at the core, reproductive rights are disability rights. Disability justice and reproductive justice are centered on bodily autonomy, individual choice and decision making. In advancing disability, in advancing disability economic justice, we must center reproductive justice and ensure access to health care for all, including access to abortions. This was uh, co-written by... Rebecca Vallis, Kimberly Naxted, and Vilissa Thompson. But I want to ask you one more question, Robin. When we're talking about where we are now in this work, not only in this post-draft, and again, a draft. Don't forget if you have a if you have an abortion scheduled, don't forget to get it. Like don't don't feel like you can't. Yeah, this go ahead. Get this it. is not the this is not the law. You need to get it now. When we're talking about this post-draft fever that we're in right now, and then combining that with autonomy, autonomy Mm -hmm. as what does that look like? The combination of the two, what does that look like for you right now? To me, autonomy is, you know, basically I'm being able to have the choice of whether I want to have a kid or whether I don't want to have a kid. You know, we're often, we're fighting for autonomy over our bodies and our lives and being supported in the rights to make decisions that affect our bodies. I want to ask one more uh, question. When you're, not only for yourself, but also when you're educating other people who need abortions or educating service providers, what is the thing that you think people 
need to remember most when servicing people with disabilities, especially in right now we're talking in the um, in the realm of abortion uh, and, and, and okay. health care. What is the thing that you want you want everyone to walk away from this conversation with regarding abortion care for people with disabilities? Abortion care needs to be accessible. Do you realize that it lacks access? I was, my own abortion experience, I could not, I went to an abortion clinic. You know, your typical, okay, this is what we do, basically, where the whole, you know, lobby is full of people. Because of my disability, they were scared and they they wouldn't do it. My disability actually compounded this. I went through that two day period. And when I came back to get the abortion, they were like, they couldn't, they weren't able to make it, I guess, accessible as in like even being able to, I guess, access the table or the equipment or anything like that. But not only that, they were just, they, for some reason, my body, it terrified them. And so they were like, we can't do this. We can't do the abortion. I had to have it done in a hospital and finding a doctor in a hospital that would do the abortion and then i had to go i went through, i had to go through my insurance i thank god i had health insurance but and so but they'd only had one abortion doctor listed one about what we have in our state three there are three abortion providers in the state of Louisiana that it's on its own special sauce right now. Mm-hmm. And um, we're going to get into that a little bit later. I want to pivot a little bit to Helmi. Hey, Helmi. Hello. So I want, I, we talked about it in the space, but I'd like for you to talk a little bit now. Similar because like, you know, Robin and I, when it comes down to abortion, we're all salts. We've, you know, this is all, this is something where what 20, 20 plus years as when probably closer to 30, because my my awareness and, and my pro-choice, I remember the first paper I wrote about being pro-choice. I was like 13 and um, my was... parents were furious. <laughs> but, you know, you're you're a bit younger than us. <laughs> and but but still in this and in this world where we, like by the by now we expected we're 50 years in. We expected you to not have to deal with this at all. So let's talk about what that's like for you as a younger person who has only ever known a world with Roe, what what it look, what the work looked like for you, kind of how you sprang into it and what it's looked like for you in the last week. Yeah, so I feel like on one hand, I grew up in the Bay Area of California, which is a liberal bubble. We had completely comprehensive sex education. They included the nearest place to get an abortion in that. And then I moved to Tuscaloosa, Alabama for college, which is where I started my repro activism. I first got plugged in to reproductive justice activism through being a clinic escort at the abortion clinic in Tuscaloosa, which is one of three in the state. And that led to opportunities to co-found an abortion fund and then become the leader of that clinic escort group. I also had opportunities to canvas around different rep-related issues. For example, there was a constitutional amendment that passed when I was living in Alabama that makes abortion outlawed without exceptions when Roe is overturned. I feel like in terms of my experience as an activist, I've only known this world where 
abortion is constantly under attack, where abortion has been systematically um, stripped away, access has been stripped away for decades. People know about Roe. There was another Supreme Court case called Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And essentially what that decision did is it created this undue burden standard. So abortion uh, restrictions are okay as long as it doesn't provide an undue burden to the pregnant person. And so as you can imagine, anti-abortion legislators took that and ran with it. And so in the majority of the country, we've been living in a post-row reality for so long. I've learned a lot from people who are older than me, abortion funders, clinic escorts, advocates, activists who have entered this work in various points since Roe was decided, even since before that, where the landscape of rights has looked different, the, you know, the court's <laughs> decisions have looked different. So, but in my experience as an activist, it's only been gotten worse and worse in the states that I have lived in. So in Alabama, you know, we had that constitutional amendment. And then in 2019, we had that very high profile ban that got blocked by the courts. And then for grad school, I moved to St. Louis, Missouri, and Missouri in 2019 had its own ban. But in Missouri, abortion is essentially inaccessible. There's one clinic in St. Louis, but through all the different, they're called targeted regulation of abortion provider laws that have closed all the other clinics. And like Robin was saying, we do have a 72 hour waiting period. You have that state mandated counseling, the mandated ultrasound, you have to get two pelvic exams before you can have an abortion. The same person who does your counseling, the same provider has to do your abortion, like they've just made it as hard as possible. So that one clinic essentially refers as many patients as possible to Illinois. St. Louis is about 20 minutes away from Illinois. You just cross, cross the Mississippi River and Illinois passed a Reproductive Health Act, which basically removed most of their trap laws. And so Planned Parenthood has a location there. There's an independent clinic in Granite City called Hope Clinic. And so why not just drive 20 more minutes where you can have your abortion in one day, you don't have this fear-mongering counseling, you don't have these invasive re requirements to get your abortion, then have to come to Missouri, be in Missouri and have to go through all of this. Um, but, you know, in Alabama, it was the same thing. People don't think about when you need an abortion and you live in these states. It's not just the cost of the procedure. It's figuring out how you're going to get there, transportation. Mm -hmm. You need lodging a lot of times, depending on, you know, how far away you're traveling from or how many days your procedure takes. You need child care. You need to take time off work. There's all these additional costs in addition to the financial costs and all these additional barriers that people have to navigate. So through my activism and clinic escorting, abortion funding, canvassing, I feel like I've become really intimately familiar with how these intersectional oppressive systems impact and create these barriers for people. And it's just strengthened my commitment to dismantle these barriers in any way I can. Because you have to look at the reason, the rationale behind it. Like what is, what is the end game? And abortion is not new. Abortion has been around since people figured out about pregnancy. <laughs> I mean, Let's talk about it, Robin. Ancient Egypt. 
we can, you know, we can Let's, talk. Get into it. Go in. Okay. <laughs> One of the things um, I shared an article, but something that slaves used was cotton root, which is an extract. I have this. You can get it on Amazon to have in order to have abortions because not wanting to have a child that is born into slavery. There have been all kinds of remedies and things that people have talked about for centuries. Black, blue, cohash, combine it with vitamin C in terms of like the slaves who you want to talk about no body autonomy. If you do take this upon yourself to terminate this pregnancy, what does that mean if you're found out? Yeah, exactly. And so and so there was a plant that basically that's supposed to counteract the uh, masters and stuff would tr- make them t- try to make them take so that the cotton root wouldn't do its work. What I've started doing like the past 10 years has been gathering all the various different methods, how to, you know, basically get in an abortion outside of this health the medical setting, if they're going to eliminate that, like, how can we take matters in our own hands? Women have shared this kind of knowledge with each other for millennia. But especially <laughs> after getting pregnant, after experiencing what it was like to get an abortion in, you know, the South. And, you know, and this was in like in Atlanta and Atlanta is a big city. It's in Georgia. <laughs> and those laws. But I also found out too, though, if you have money and all this other things, like you can get it in a hospital billed as a DNC. And that's how my abortion was billed. I'm glad you mentioned that because when we talk about this opinion, this draft opinion, this Mm -hmm. coming opinion, however you want to look at it, it's not going to stop women from having abortions. Oh no. Before Roe, after Roe, people who do not want to be pregnant will stop themselves from being pregnant. The only mm-hmm. thing that it is standing in the way of is people being able to do this safely. And these these states, there are 13 states that have trigger laws that when, if Roe is overturned, they're locked and loaded with, you know, absolute bans on abortion, full stop. I'm in New Orleans where we do whatever we want, <laughs> but the rest of Louisiana, very much a red state. So... One of the refrains that I always have time to call to task is our lovely liberal friends who <laughs> like to say things. They, they're so great. They mean, they, they, mean, they mean so well. But who love to say things like, we should stop sending funding to red states. Can you shut up with that? <laughs> I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I, I usually try to be nicer, but shut up. Just shut up. That's one of my soapboxes for sure. <laughs> yeah, I live here now in the Bay Area. I love talking about how this is a bubble and you cannot look at, you know, what the culture is around abortion and sex ed and all of that here and compare the re- and think the rest of the country is like that. That's not how it is. Like you, you have those few pockets and yes, there are those states and that is the majority of the, the, the condensed population. But when you start spreading out, that's not everybody's reality. And that's mm-hmm. definitely every blue state is really a red state that's lucky enough to have a couple of large blue cities. That's right. it. Yeah. Like California, for example, has by number the most Republicans. 
like in terms of numbers, Democrats in certain more red states, more Democrats voted for Biden than for than in California or, you know, something like that. But one thing I also try and stress is these people in red states, they don't deserve the, in, the consequences of the policies enacted by their oppressors by saying we should secede or they deserve a plague or whatever natural disasters or we should boycott it's just further punishing those who are already being punished which is low-income people black and brown people which you know are the majority of black people in this country live the south so i i abortion's my soapbox but also (laughs) (laughs) getting in fights with blue state liberals about they need to keep the South out of their mouth is. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Because that's, that's the absolute truth. These are, these are people who live where they live and there's an, an immense amount of privilege. Another thing that people don't realize is people are very focused at the federal level and that's true. And it's true that the Supreme court is, super conservative now and Trump packed the lower courts with a bunch of judges that are anti-abortion and are going to rubber stamp whatever abortion restrictions come their way. But at the state level, this has been happening. And it's not just at the federal level. Sure, they could have passed whatever the Women's Health Protection Act or codifying Roe or something of that nature. But Republican supermajorities you know, the state level have been working for decades and are working overtime right now. And, you know, for example, in Louisiana, the abortion restriction that went to the Supreme Court in June versus Russo was signed into into law by a Democratic governor. Yeah, I agree that a lot of this conversation that I've seen and the discourse that I've seen after this draft has been people who maybe haven't been paying attention, who are talking about 2016 and 2020 and stuff like that. And Yes, Trump had a huge impact in terms of the courts, but also at the state level, this has been happening. And I want to, our our eye in the sky, our wonderful producer, Angel, brought out a, a, a very important thing. I mean, you know, they're, they're trying to make abortion a felony. And she pointed out, what can't felons do? They can't vote in good, we're not being engaged in good faith. That has to be called out. That has to be addressed. It has to be reiterated. And sometimes it's exhausting when you're wherever, whether it's in personal conversation, on social media, wherever, where you feel like a broken record, where you're just arguing and correcting people. But somebody has to speak truth to power. But it's it's so mired down, just the agenda that they want to regulate uteruses. When we, because when we're dealing with this, we're not only talking about cis women, we're also talking about trans men who still have uteruses. There's a different method of engagement when we're we're talking about what healthcare looks like for trans men, which is going to be another show because, you know, I love going to the source. So we're we're going to have to talk to trans men about what this looks like for them, what this, because that's something that we still have yet to tap into, what these restrictions are going to look like for them. And so before we go any further, I want to thank you, Robin, and give you the opportunity to let us know. I like to ask everyone, we have obviously the, the abortion issue is on all of our plates, but I'd love for you to talk about what else you have your eye on and what organizations that you would like to shout out that you think our audience should know about? Um, I have my 
eye on, you know, several things because I feel like they're all related. And one of my causes is education and people having access to education and being able to have access to have education. And, but um, also, but in underserved areas, like rural, the rural America, we're talking about like the South or whatever. And, you know, a lot of, there are a lot of black people who live in rural areas in the South. The organization that I support, the buffalosfoundation.org is for children of color to get scholarships to help them in education, which could be trade school. It can be to help you get your tools for trade school or something like that, that, or it can go towards college, grad school. That is an organization that is dear to my heart and one that I wholeheartedly support. Thank you. And one more thing. Can you let the folks know where to find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at sexabled and um, you can find me there. Um, Instagram, I'm I'm not quite as active, but I'm Robin LWB. But Twitter, you can find me on there. I'm, I, I think I kind of have addiction yeah i know i do so don't feel bad don't feel bad you're in good company with um at the very least me and christine we're always on there so thank you so much robin and cannot wait to have you back i can't wait to come back thank you so much so help me can we talk a bit about your nickname (laughs) i love it the abortion link fairy so so I've been involved in reparactivism since 2016 in various roles, like I was saying. And in my current season of my life, I'm not affiliated with a particular organization. But one thing I've been doing my whole time in the repro realm is whenever I see an article, particularly on Twitter, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, but Twitter is my, that's my realm. Whenever I'd see an article about abortion relating to a specific state, I would be like, Anyone interested in promoting abortion access in state should donate to funds username and then the link. And so I've been doing this for years and I had it all on a little note on my phone. And I also had a thread that I made with more kind of consolidated resources for a bunch of states after Amy Coney Barrett was confirmed that I would share on more national articles. But in September, I asked my followers if it would be helpful for them to if I made it into a document, my little notes up with all the different states, and they said yes, and so I made it into a document. So since September, I've been able to copy-paste my little state things, but then also when it's a national one, which I feel like has been increasing in the news, I can promote my document. So on Monday night, I was just on Twitter scrolling Met Gala looks like everyone else, And I saw the political article about the draft leaking and I immediately went into the replies and I replied with my document. And then if I saw replies going viral, I would reply to all those replies with my document. And I immediately went on tweet limit. My document just went viral by itself. And so that's what abortion donation link fairy refers to is I'm very extremely online and I would, I'm always the first to actually promote resources in these replies because I learned that there's a lot of well-meaning people out there who just have no idea what to do to help because abortion is not something they think about if it's not in the news or if they don't personally need one or know somebody who needs one. What ended up happening is somebody from Squarespace reached out to me and offered to help me make it a website 
So now there's my document, the original Google Doc, bit.ly slash abortion funds Twitter with A, F, and T capitalized, keeping it accessible with camel case. And then there's also donateabortions.com, which is the website version of it. And basically what both these resources have is state by state, the abortion funds that people should donate to and follow and get involved in if they want to help. Planned Parenthood, NARAL, these national organizations, they have the biggest name recognition and they also have the biggest budgets. They have multi-million dollar budgets. Meanwhile, abortion funds are operating on shoestring budgets. I know from my experience as an abortion funder and abortion fund co-founder particularly, what it's like to have a baby fund. And, you know, abortion funds can't fund everybody. They have to turn people away. You see posts on social media all the time of abortion funds saying, we reached our monthly budget limit, our, our helpline is closed. So, you know, what these restrictions are going to do, we've been living in a post-row reality, but 26 states, once row is overturned, whether they have trigger bans, constitutional amendments, pre-row bans that haven't been overturned, or they have just restrictions that are blocked by courts but that deem abortion inaccessible, they're going to ban abortion and these people are going to have to travel farther and farther. They're going to have their appointments later and later. Their appointment, their procedures are going to get more and more expensive. And abortion funds have been upholding this infrastructure for decades. They know the landscape. They know what's required. We've been preparing for this moment. And it's really just all hands on deck. So that's why I'm just so passionate about sharing information so that people don't reinvent the wheel so that people plug into the organizations already doing this work. And if there's one good thing that came out of this leak, it's that people woke up. It's that people are mobilized and galvanized and these funds are having a huge influx of money. And once this this is out of the news again, hopefully at least some people are recurring monthly donors and People are, you know, more aware of ways to help and how much help is needed. When we get the person we like or the party we like or whatever, you know, however people have a sense of security or comfort, there's a a tendency to get a little bit complacent. That's part of the reason why we are here. I think there are certain rights that we that we took for granted. And no, it takes work. Democracy takes work. Full stop. Is, and we haven't gone too much into the opinion, mostly because the opinion is crap, but mm-hmm. also because it's it's already been covered. But we know we've seen time after time all of the things that are going to that that are on the chopping block when you look at it through the lens of, well, this wasn't in the Constitution before. Yeah, it wasn't in the Constitution before because you were not listening to women in the 1700s. We couldn't even talk out loud in public. So it's absurd. It is absolutely absurd to use that as the metric. Before we go, I want to go into, because every week we have petitions. So I want to go into the petitions that we have. Um, The first one is Codify Roe versus Wade. Right now we have 5,436 signatures with a goal of 10,000. If you would like to be 5,437, text 
P is in Paul, F is in Frank, H E R O. That's P F Hero two five zero four zero nine. We also have Codify Roe versus Wade and Expand SCOTUS now. And for that one, we have two thousand nine hundred ninety six signatures. We'd like to get to three hundred, which is just that's just four away. You can be to 97, 98, 99, and 3,000. It's okay. Go ahead. Text 50409 to P is in Paul, G is in Gary, Q is in question, O, P is in Paul, L. And another one. This is one of my favorites. We have uh, Jonathan, who has done the letter a day opposing forced birth, and he's also done another day one of writing until abortion is protected by law. And that is P-U-U-B-T-J. If you text that to 50409, we, that is just under 2,000 signatures, which is amazing. It's a very simple to-the-point letter, but it gets right to the heart of it because, by and large, we live in a democracy, which is run by the will of the people, and the majority of the people in this country are in favor of abortion. So 50409 for any of these, or if you want different wording, if there's if there's something else that you would like to say, there are resources on resist.bot to help you, you know, craft your letter. But you can also just text petition to 50409 and start your own letter. I love to like compose it and in notes and just copy and paste. It's as easy as that. You don't even have to put your phone down to do it. So before we go, Helmy, I'd like you to tell the folks where to find you. Yeah, y'all can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Helmsinki, H-E-L-M-S-I-N-K-I. It's a fun play on my first name and the capital of Finland. And, you know, I'm always happy to answer people's questions. I've been fielding a lot of questions about what this means, um, what's the best ways to help. You know, whatever you have, you can send me a DM on either one. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ami. And cannot wait to have you back. I would love to be back. Thank you for having me. Thank you. What amazing people. I want to thank Helmi and Robin and Susan for joining this week. And I want to thank Christine and Athena for their work every week with Resist Spot Live. This week, Congress is voting on codifying Roe versus Wade. And unfortunately, it is not expected to pass the filibuster, which brings me to the final petition of the day. That is to destroy the filibuster. If you text P-Z-Z-C-O-G to 50409, you can sign and send to your representative, destroy the filibuster. I want to thank you all for joining. If you want to learn more, you can go to resist.bot. If you'd like to volunteer, you can email us at volunteer at resist.bot. If you'd like to donate, you can also do that at resist.bot. Our monthly donors get all sorts of nice perks. And we have quite a few of them this week. So I want to say thank you, like we do every week. Thank you, Madison from Chicago, Illinois. Alyssa from Gardnerville, Nevada. Bree from Marrero, Louisiana. Hey, neighbor. John from Peoria, Illinois. Catherine from Lone Tree, Colorado. Gary from Novi, Michigan. Haley from Collierville, Tennessee. Morgan from Estendido, California. Mary from Newark, Delaware. Lisa from Flagstaff, Arizona. 
Samuel from Salt Lake City, Utah, Laura from Matthews, North Carolina, Aaron from Eustis, Florida, Heather from Long Beach, California, Jamie from Lombard, Illinois, Jillian from Davenport, Florida, Jessica from Nutley, New Jersey, Deborah from West Deptford, New Jersey, Gregory from Lexington, Kentucky, Jennifer from Lake Hiawatha, New Jersey, Jennifer from Salt Lake City, Utah, Melissa from Charlottesville, Virginia, Catherine from Burke Burnett, Texas, Emily from Georgetown, Texas, Sean from Eugene, Oregon, and Lonnie from Kingsburg, California. I want to thank each and every one of you for making what we do possible. And that includes our blog post. Susan wrote an amazing post entitled, They Belong to Us. I highly recommend going to resist.bot, checking our news section, and looking at all of our blog articles. If you'd like to subscribe to us, you can go to our YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel at rs.bot slash video. And you can subscribe to our podcast at rs.bot slash pod, which goes up every Monday. I want to thank you all for joining and we'll see you next time. ResistBot Live originally airs as a live stream every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on Twitch, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, and is brought to you by the same folks behind the chatbot. If you haven't used ResistBot before, it's simple. iPhone users, go to resist.bot on the web and tap the iMessage button. Non-iPhone users, open your text messaging app and compose a new text message. For the phone number, type 50409. In the message field, type resist or any of the keywords you heard on the show. You can also direct message ResistBot on Twitter or the Telegram app. For a printable keyword guide and more resources, visit our website at resist.bot. Our website has a complete guide to creating robust public policy or voter turnout campaigns. And we're here to support your activism. Email support at resist.bot if you need help getting started. ResistBot is a nonprofit social welfare organization built by volunteers and supported by your donations. You can donate on our website or email volunteer at resist.bot if you want to join our team. ResistBot Live is moderated by Melanie Dion. Our regular panel includes Athena Foulet, Christine Liu, Susan Stutz, and Dr. Joseph Kuhill. Thank you for listening.